energy. Can we all just admit that I was right about Mac Jones from the start? He's good. He's not great. And they have made him worse by what they have done to him this year. The passion. This UVM team is the most athletic team I can remember in the eight years I've been covering them. They're that fast. They're that quick. They're that bouncy. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Craig Breslow might be great. But he's got to start spending money. I think he's going to, but he better start soon. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM and FM and WDEBradio.com. Look, we're going to have a different show tonight, right? We're on for all 90 minutes. We're up until 7 o'clock. We will have plenty of sports. You want to hear me gripe and complain about the Patriots? There will be that happening, I promise you, between 5.30 and 7. Matt Verderam, NFL insider at Sports Illustrated, kind enough to stop by tonight at about 6.10. We are doing the show, and we are fully aware against the backdrop of the weather that a lot of you are living through, worrying about, and wondering about what's going to happen. We will continue to bring you any weather-related information that we have as it comes in to our Radio Vermont newsroom. I'll tell you right now, we have kind of emptied our list of things in the afternoon news service. So as of the last 10 minutes or so, there are no new traffic advisories, road closures, power outages, event cancellations, etc. So nothing new is into the Radio Vermont newsroom. Once we get more of that stuff, if we get more of that stuff, we will bring it to you so you can keep it locked here as always to get your news that you need to know i also advise you to check out our facebook page wdev look there all of the road cancellations that i get sent that i get told about they are all pushed right to our facebook page so anything you need to know about your area will be there on our facebook page again we will do the show close to as normal as we can we'll do it for some relief we'll do it for some fun i'll get worked up about the patriots even though they're not really worth my energy we're certainly well aware there are many more important things going on around the state today hopefully we can be a little bit of relief for you but again we'll keep you aware of everything that you need to know and we are more importantly most importantly wishing for everybody in the state to be safe today we know we're doing this against a difficult backdrop. We know that a lot of you have been through hell since July, and we are rooting for you to have nothing but happiness as we get towards the holiday season. So stay safe, stay warm as the temperatures fall tonight, and continue to heed the warnings to hear on DEV. Governor Phil Scott just reminded us, do not, if you see a puddle, do not assume there is a road underneath. Be safe, be cautious, take extra time, get home safe, and we are here for you for the next 90 minutes. So I am here. Danny is here. We are up until 7 o'clock. You can get in on the text line, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Danny, Patriots lose to the Kansas City Chiefs. Final score, 27-17. With that, the Patriots are 3-11. and I got to admit, right on Thursday, I picked the Patriots to win. I thought it would be a low-scoring game in which the Patriots played really hard and kind of win one for the Gipper and the defense would step up. And you know what? That script kind of played out, did it not? I thought the defense overall 
was pretty good. I thought they made life difficult for Patrick Mahomes. They got to him. They disrupted him. They forced two turnovers. They forced a couple of other fumbles that didn't go their way. But they made things happen defensively. They were in their bag of tricks to disrupt Travis Kelsey, to disrupt Patrick Mahomes. And I thought for a while that my script just might have played out that way. Low scoring and a Patriots win. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Danny, something we have said often this year, bad teams make bad plays. And bad teams make losing plays. And that's what and who the Patriots are. And that's what and who the Patriots have been. It's that simple. That game was there for the taking. Right? They're not better than the Chiefs. But that game on a single solitary Sunday was there for the taking, and the Patriots found a way to foul it up in a way that they have fouled it up several times this year. It's really that simple. Good teams capitalize on mistakes. Bad teams can't figure out a way to do it, and that's where the Patriots are right now. Right? I made several notes throughout the game, Danny, and I'm sure there's things that I'm missing here. They they had a penalty on the opening kickoff that negated a ball, you know, would have been field position at midfield. All of a sudden, boom, you're backed up inside your own 20. Bad teams make that play. Bad teams wipe out a great return and end up inside their own 20. When you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champions, a team that has aspects or aspirations, rather, of getting there again, when you're playing that team, you can't afford that. Patriots did it. Patriots recovered a fumble, had it wiped away by a questionable, although I still thought a good call, Defensive, defensive holding penalty. Bad teams negate turnovers with penalties. Chad Ryland, once again, continues to struggle. Fourth round pick, misses a 41-yard field goal. 41 yards is a chip shot in the NFL. Chad Ryland missed it. He's missed a lot of them this year. Patriots had an illegal contact penalty on Jonathan Jones that wiped out a Patrick Mahomes intentional grounding penalty. Would have set the Chiefs back. Instead, penalties offset. Bailey Zappi throws throws an INT on the very first offensive play of the second half. Can't have it. Right? I believe a Hunter Henry touchdown was wiped away. Bad teams make bad plays. Bad teams make losing plays. The Kansas City Chiefs, I thought, were far from perfect yesterday, but they found a way just enough to capitalize on all of that, right? All of those things the Patriots did and all of those things the Patriots did wrong, the Kansas City Chiefs found a way to capitalize on. And the Patriots had their chances, and they just couldn't capitalize. And it's a song that we've been singing all year. From week one against Philadelphia to week two against Miami to a bunch of other games, right? They got blown out against the Chiefs and Cow- or against the uh, Saints and Cowboys. By and large, The Pats have kind of been in games this year. The games they've lost, a lot of them have looked like this. And Danny Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston felt the same way afterwards. You know what, the game overall, I'll stick with that because I know Teddy's strong on the other stuff. But to me, you have a game that follows the path of so many other Patriots games this season. Aside from the blowouts they've had, you have one that's pockmarked by mistakes that has some calls in there that kneecap the Patriots, and then they're just not able to recover from them. you got a defense that puts together an outstanding performance. They hold 28 yards for Travis Kelsey. They really limit Patrick Mahomes, but it's the wondrous talents of that quarterback and the mobility that the Patriots have to look at and say, we need one of those. We're not going to get that one, but we need one of those. But it really follows the same track of so many things that we've seen this year that it really doesn't alter the conversation much. Yes, follows the track that we have seen 
all season long. This is just who they are, right? This is just who they are. When you're not good, you find a way to beat yourself. And you know what? The Patriots have beaten themselves for several years now. And that's what's so disappointing is I look at the Patriots and we always say, well, Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick team doesn't do that. You know what? Bill Belichick teams have been doing this stuff for the last several years. And it's very, very frustrating. You've got to be, we always talk about the Patriots playing their best football after Thanksgiving back in the day. The Patriots are getting worse. I know they beat Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh stinks and they played a good first half only. By and large, the Patriots have not played well for a long time. They had their chances, and they missed them, like they've been doing all season long. It's the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Danny, I'm going to say something here that I think probably makes me irrationally upset, but it makes me upset. Okay, And I think frequently this will happen, where I'll get bent out of shape about something, and you'll look at me and go, Okay, that's not really that big a deal. This might be one of those times I don't care. Did you notice the Patriots social media channel yesterday? The Patriots official account, the actual team account. Did you notice the team account put out a tweet with a picture of Taylor Swift? Did you notice that Gillette Stadium itself on the video board put out a picture of Taylor Swift and her father and Pat and Brittany Mahomes and said, Welcome back to Gillette Stadium with a quote from Taylor Swift saying how great Gillette Stadium was. Did you catch that, Danny? I did. Okay, so the in-stadium stuff focuses on Taylor Swift. The team account focuses on Taylor Swift. You know what that means, Danny? You know what that makes you? A loser. Okay, you are a loser. When you do that, what you are telling me is that your team is not good enough to focus on the football being played. Your football team is not interesting enough that we have to focus on all of the other stuff. And you know what? If Taylor Swift were just a random celebrity there in attendance, I would have been fine with it. I would have had zero problem with it. We see celebrities in the crowd on the big board all the time. It means absolutely nothing to me. But Taylor Swift is not your everyday celebrity. Taylor Swift is a fan of the other team now, and you went and promoted her because you think your team is so garbage that that's the only thing that interesting. that's interesting. That ticks me off to no end. Taylor Swift's father, I think her father, is sitting next to her wearing a Chiefs sweatshirt, and you're blasting it all over the stadium video board. My guy Steve, our guy Steve over in Faceton, was at the game yesterday. I hope he vomited in his seat overseeing this garbage. Taylor Swift is wearing a Santa hat with a number 87 on it for Travis Kelsey, and you're plastering her all over the biggest video board in the Eastern Seaboard because that's all that's interesting to you. You're practically sending me a postcard that says, hey, our team sucks. We know it, but hey, somebody famous is here, so let's divert our attention to that. That is absolute garbage. You shouldn't have shown Taylor Swift on the video board. You shouldn't have promoted her on social media. If the if the neutral third-party broadcast at Fox wants to talk about her, so be it. If they want to pandor 84 times, then so be it. But you are the New England Patriots in-game entertainment crew, and you decided to pander the Chiefs box and welcome her back and give her a hero's welcome. It's absolutely disgusting, and it's absolutely garbage. And that is how far the Patriots have fallen. Not only did you get flexed off a Monday night football embarrassingly, not only are you going to finish with the worst record 
since 93 or 4, whatever year you took Drew Bledsoe. Not only are you going to miss the playoffs for the fourth time in five years since Tom Brady was there, or the third time in four years, whatever the hell it is, not only do you stink in the standings, you're telling me you stink every time you do that crap. Okay? I'm glad that Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are happy. I'm not offended by it like 95% of you. I really don't care. Okay? I hope they get married and make beautiful babies and live a happy life. I'm actually rooting for them. Most of you want to see them fail. I could care less. But what I don't need is my team telling me, hey, we suck so bad that we have to resort to this junk because we're that bad. Like, hey, the product on the field stinks, so look up in the box and let's get a cursory glance there. I mean, seriously, if the third-party broadcaster wants to mention it, fine, them's the breaks. But the in-house entertainment says, hey, you know, rather than show our sideline or show our fans or show some shirtless loser in the crowd dancing, instead of that stuff, we're going to pan up to the opponent's fan box and see what we could do. The social media channel that's supposed to be promoting the Patriots, showing highlights, talking good about the team, says, ah, you know what, I think I'm good for a week. Let me just give you some drivel here on what's happening in the in the opponent's box. It absolutely sickens me, frankly. And I know Robert Kraft is too not in the weeds to care exactly about what's going on with the team's social media account, but that person deserves a one-week suspension as far as I'm concerned. They don't need to be fired for this, but whoever runs the Patriots' social media account needs a one-week suspension. Because that is absolutely garbage. 802-585-3026. Will in Plattsburgh says, best rant ever. I couldn't agree more. Danny, do you agree with Will, best rant ever, or do you, like usual, think I'm overreacting? I think you're like the Twitter comment section come to life. So are, where, where are you, overreacting or agree with Will? I mean, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you, but yeah. Probably shouldn't be doing that on your official team Twitter. Let let the NFL on CBS, uh, Fox, tweet that stuff out. Yes, exactly. Thank you. For, finally, you are agreeing with the voice of reason here. Because I, on this one, I am the voice of reason. Some of you think I'm irrational. Usually Danny does. On this one, I am the voice of reason. This is absurd. Okay, this is absolutely absurd. Hey, let's celebrate our opponents uh, and their fans because we stink so bad. This is, it's a clown show is what it is. 802-585-3026. We're going to unpack the Patriots. We'll do it next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FMWDEVradio.com. We will have weather-related updates for you coming just after 6 o'clock. So, again, we're wishing everybody to stay safe, to get home safely. Weather-related updates are coming at 6 o'clock. Caller calls in in the break and says, that is one of your best rants ever, Brady. I agree with you. Uh, Peter in Williston says, Brady, it was an awesome rant, definitely top 10. I'm not sure if it was your best, though. When you flipped out on politics and race, that was legendary. Well, well, Peter, thank you very much, but i got to tell you, the politics and race flip out was not me. That was our friend Lou Merloni of W of then of WEEI in Boston. This is an all-timer, but this one wasn't me, Danny. I just want to watch freaking sports. And the whole thing started on ESPN like years ago. Can we just separate the two? Can you just let me enjoy my sport without making everything race, everything politics? You sit there and you rip one quarterback and it's because he's white or because he's black and we compare it to everything. Can we just have opinions that don't make me a freaking white supremacist or a racist or anything else or, or a right wing freaking nut job or a liberal nut job? 
can I just watch sports and just have fun? No, I can't do any of it. If I go to the beach, it's like, why are you going to that beach? Why are you on that side? Oh, you're sitting on the left. Oh, you're sitting on the right. What does that mean about you? Oh, you're sitting out in the back with people. You must be a freaking commie, I don't know, right-wing <laughs> bastard. We know like, you I'm are. Just every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. That's an all-timer, but that one wasn't me. Okay, that was our friend Lou Merloni. So if you were saving that one for my top spot, you can bump up the Taylor Swift one if you so desire into the top spot because that one wasn't me. But that one is a great one. And that one is, uh, I love Lou for a lot of reasons. That one, just the passion. Forget what he even says. The emotion and the passion. That's one of the reasons why I love Lou. All right, Danny, Patriots lose. They're now 3-11. and They lose 27-17 to the Kansas City Chiefs. Fire me up the music so we can unpack the pass. Let's go. Which Patriots popped? To the 30, to the 20, he is in, zone, bound, pick six, touchdown, Patriots! And which ones flopped? Jones steps up in the pocket, unloads a deep ball, and it's intercepted. That'll put the cherry on top. We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Hard to believe, Danny. The Patriots are one and seven at home. One and seven at home. I mean, I'm trying to think of their wins here. Who have they beaten? Like, I mean, seriously, let me think here. They beat who? They beat Jets. the Jets. That was on the road. They've beaten Pittsburgh. That was on the road. So the third win is the only is the third win is the home win, and that was when they beat Buffalo, shockingly, twenty nine to twenty five. That's the only win they have at home. One and seven. I remember when winning at home was or playing at home was an automatic victory for the for the uh, Pats. All right, what happened on the good side? Demario Douglas. He continues to make an impact. He came back yesterday. He missed a couple games with concussion. Three catches, 33 yards, 11 yards per reception. Does the score, does the stat sheet light up? No, it doesn't. But you know what? He was the only Patriots player in double figure receiving, you know, average yards per reception. He just makes plays when they give him the ball. And it shouldn't be this way where we're reliant on a sixth round pick to be some kind of spark. But Demario Douglas is fun to watch. Demario Douglas is a spark, and they need to find a way to get the ball into his hands this year for the next three games and next year moving forward because this kid can play. We all talk about, hey, we want a deep threat, and we want a guy who gets down the field, and we want a, a guy who can go up and win 50-50 balls, and like, hey, look at that play like yesterday in the uh, night game there between Baltimore and Jacksonville where the guy goes up and double coverage and mosses the two guys down by the red zone. We want guys who can do that. The Patriots don't have that. But as you find that and as you look for that, don't forget about Demario Douglas because the kid can play. Is he the next Wes Welker? Is he the next Julian Edelman? I'm not smart enough to sit here and tell you that. That would be a hell of a lot of pressure to put on the kid. But what I can tell you is that Tyquan Thornton, who was a second-round pick of the draft, had one catch for five yards and is continuously disappointed since he got here last year. And Demario Douglas, when he's on the field, just makes plays. Right? He had the bad fumble in week two against Miami. But whether you're putting him in the slot, whether you're asking him to go across the middle, whether you're asking him to, to run the ball on an end around, I just like watching him play. And having him back added a different 
dynamic to the offense yesterday. Again, three catches, 33 yards. It's nothing to write home about, but it's 11 yards per reception, a long of 16. That was the second longest reception the Pats had yesterday. In a generally anemic offense, Demario Douglas finds a way to do things that are useful. I give him a lot of credit for that. And they, he said they tried to shut him down with those head injuries. He said, uh-uh, I want to be out there. I want to finish the season. As long as he's being safe, I give him credit for toughness, both physical and mental, because it's been a tough year for him, physically with injuries and mentally with being benched by Belichick and being ridden to the pine after the Week 2 fumble. I enjoy watching him play. I hope he continues to find his way onto the field this year and next year as well. On the bad side of things, Danny, once again, we've seen this script. Third down defense for the Patriots just wasn't very good. The defense overall... I thought was fairly good, but in big spots, they just couldn't find a way to get off the field, specifically the Chiefs' touchdown drive at the end of the first half. Kansas City finished 5 of 13 on third down, but at one point they were 4 of 6, and we're talking about like converting on third and 5, and on third and 9, especially. Look, the Patriots were up 10-7, right? The Pats were up 10-7. They had a chance to go into the half, up 10-7, or tied 10-10, and get the ball, you know, or, or they weren't going to get the ball first, excuse me, but they had a chance to go in, tied or even, and instead they go down and they finish here. Uh, you know, they get down 14-10 at the half. Just can't have it, right? You just can't have it. So defense overall made some nice plays. Third down, not consistent enough. On the good front, that's where I was going next. I did think the defense overall was fairly good. And I continue to give Bill Belichick and Gerard Mayo credit. They've got guys, a lot of backup guys, playing hard, playing with energy, playing with some physicality, and playing with some want to, right? Guys look like they want to be out there, from Dietrich Wise to Jabril Peppers. I don't call Kyle Duggar's name as much as I would like to or Josh Uche, but even they were involved a little bit yesterday. I just... The defense is continuing to play hard. You look at this, overall, they held Patrick Mahomes to, look, they had two interceptions on Mahomes, right? The Mapu one and the, uh, oh, a Tavai on the awful catch, you know, dropped by Kadarius Tony. But they had two interceptions. They held Travis Kelsey yesterday to what, to 28 yards? I believe it was five catches, 28 yards. He, they forced him to drop a touchdown there in the end zone overall. Thought defense was fairly good. Patrick Mahomes was sacked three times yesterday. His quarterback rating was only 61. His actual rating was under 100. That's a pretty good day right there when you're going up against the probable and likely best quarterback in the league and a guy who's won MVP. That's a pretty good day overall. Kudos to Belichick and that group. They're missing a ton of guys on the defensive backfield. You look at this team yesterday. There no Judon, no Christian Gonzalez. J.C. Jackson's not out there because he's been benched. Good. A lot of people are like, oh, J.C. Jackson, good. I don't want to see him play anymore. They're missing. Jack Jones is gone. Marcus Jones is out for the season. So a lot of people missing yesterday on the defensive line. They continue to find, or defensive unit in general, they continue to find a way to do some interesting things defensively, right? When they're getting blown out, that's not entirely the defense's fault, and a lot of these games have been close. You look at the Pats last couple of weeks and their points allowed, right? They allowed 18 against Pittsburgh, 6, 10, 10, 20, 27. Only, they've only allowed more than 20 points now twice since, uh, let's see, when did they play the Commanders? What date was that? I don't have that date in front of me. That's about week 10 or so, November 5th. So only twice since November 5th that they allowed more than 21 points. 
all in all, pretty good job, I thought, defensively. Bad on the bad side of things, I mean, my goodness, they cannot run the ball. Right? The Chiefs have a good defense, but the Pats could get nothing going on the ground. They had 52 yards rushing yesterday. A lot of it came on the 18-yard Kevin Harris kind of late touchdown run. So, if you're going to have a quarterback that's limited, which the Patriots have, whether it's Mac Jones or whether it's Bailey Zappi, you got to have some balance to it. And instead, the Patriots come out and they have to be completely one-dimensional. Look, it'd be one thing if they had Randy Moss and Chris Carter and they needed to throw it as much as they got to throw it. They don't have that. They don't have a quarter of that. They don't have an eighth of that. They've got to be able to run the football. And if they can't run it and they're forced into passing the ball as much as they are, defensive line gets to pin their ears back, quarterback is at risk, guys still can't separate and get open. It's not a formula for winning offense. It's not a formula for winning offensive plays. Very, very difficult there for the Pats if you cannot run the football. I think Ezekiel Elliott's been really good this year in a lot of ways. 2.3 yards per carry yesterday was not one of his better days. On the good side, i got to give Bailey Zappi credit for the first half. Second straight week, he's played well in the first half, right? Came out last week against Pittsburgh, had the scripted first drive, scored the touchdown on the pass to Elliott. Came out this week, led him into a scoring position. Ryland missed the field goal. They come back and score, I believe, on the next drive there on fourth down with a kind of a gutsy pass to Hunter Henry. you got to like that, right? The kid has some moxie. He has the ability to move his feet in the pocket. He has, his, he has the confidence to sling it. He stood in beautifully on a third down where he was going to get drilled. He stood in perfectly and delivered a strike. He delivered a couple of nice passes across the middle to Devontae Parker. Bailey Zappi, first half, played well, second consecutive week. On the bad side, Bailey Zappi, second half. Right? Bailey Zappi was horrible in the second half. They barely got any first downs in the second half. The touchdown they got was gifted by the Tavai interception that put them inside the red zone. Right? And then Harris does nearly all of the legwork on that with the 18-yard touchdown run. So you got to find a way when the defense adjusts after halftime, when good coaches make schematic adjustments, you've got to find a way to adjust yourself. And thus far, Bailey Zappi hasn't figured out a way to do it. I'm not a Zappi fan. I don't think he's ever going to be a starter in this league. If he wants to be a backup and stick, he's got to be able to kind of play the chess game. He plays well when he's out in front of things early, but when people start to catch up and adjust, especially really good NFL defensive coaches, there hasn't been anything there. Hasn't been anything there. On the positive side of things, Hunter Henry once again. Look, he went out with injury yesterday with the knee, but seven catches, 66 yards, had a touchdown. Think again, he had another one, taking back nine targets. He had the two touchdowns last week, so Hunter Henry's making a lot of money. It's good to see him contribute. Got some more bad. That's Bill Belichick not going forward on fourth downs. We'll talk more about that in the 6 o'clock hour. We'll give you weather-related updates as well. Keep you posted on this storm. That's next on DEV. Welcome back in, Brady Parker Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Yeah, Hunter Henry had his touchdown taken away in the second quarter. Remember, that was the one where would have been a would have been a touchdown, right? They were at the three-yard line or whatever. Would have been a touchdown. Pretty nice play by Zappi, but it was called holding on Connor McDermott. That pushed him back, and then the Patriots ultimately have to take the field goal. That's what allowed him to go up 10-7, and then they end up down 14-10 going into the half, and then, you know, field goal by the Chiefs coming out of the half, 17-10, and then the pass with the pick, and then it's kind of all downhill from there. Oh, we're going to get to the Bill Belichick stuff later in this hour, not going forward on fourth down. What Ezekiel Elliott had to say about him, kind of calling Belichick out in the postgame uh, locker room session right now. Let's go out 
to the phone line and bring on my guy, Matt Verderam. Matt Verderam is formerly the NFL director over at fansided.com. He is also now currently an NFL reporter at Sports Illustrated, a good buddy of mine. We went to college together, and uh, I love when we get Matt on the show. He's also a noted Chiefs fan as the Patriots fall to the Chiefs yesterday, 27-17. Danny tells me we have Matt on now. Matty V, once again, welcome back. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing well as well. Let's talk about the game itself yesterday before we move on to some of the ancillary stuff surrounding the Pats. 27-17, what did you make of the game itself? I thought in the first half, New England did a good job of quick throws, moving the ball. Uh, you know, Zappi at one point, I think it was like 16 of 18. He played well. And then the second half, that went away. Um, Kansas City basically squatted underneath and said, go ahead and beat us down the field. And that was it. Um, he did not throw for much yardage in the second half. He ended up throwing for five and a half yards in an attempt. Um, and look, the turnover kills you. I mean, it's 17-10. New England's backed up and, and, you know, he throws a, a pick that, I mean, if, if Willie Gay doesn't inter- intercept that pass, Mike Edwards is going to. I mean, they, there were two Chiefs standing in between anybody who could have caught it for New England and, and Zappi. Um, I think defensively, like New England, you know, they, they hung in there. I mean, they got two interceptions. They, you know, Butker missed the first field goal. He's missed all year long. First kick, he's missed all year long. Um, but it's a hard, even with the Chiefs issues on offense, they're going to move the ball. I mean, they're, they're sixth in the league in yards per play. They, I think we're seventh in the league in yardage per game going into the game. And, um, I thought New England defensively, it, it was one of those things, look, they did what you knew they were going to do. They took Kelsey away, but other guys beat him. Edwards Alaire beat him. Rice beat him. And it was, it was enough for the Chiefs to find a way to get out of there with a victory. Chiefs had lost four of six. How confident do you look at this as a confidence building performance for them? Or do you look at it and say they beat a bad team, a bad team that did a lot of things to beat themselves. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. And on to the next. I thought the Chiefs played like crap for a lot of the game. Honestly, yep. I mean they they really did not play well. They, you know, I mean again, Kelsey drops a touchdown that takes away four points. They miss a field goal, which you're not going to get on Bucker again. It's first kick he's missed all year, but that's three points that they normally bank. Um, they had a ridiculous. I mean, Mahomes just can't throw that interception. Just cannot throw the first one. Yep. That ball, take the sack, put it at his feet, whatever. It's a bad throw. It's a nice play by New England, but it's a bad throw. And that is a, a field goal that gets donated. And then a touchdown at the end of the game is donated because Kadarius Tony is Kadarius Tony and can't stop playing for the other team. And so, I mean, how many points? That's 16 points that are going against you. Now, you could argue also New England did its own stuff, face mask in the red zone, and there's a holding call that brought back a touchdown. Now, granted, I think if they don't hold Dana there, it's a sack. And, it, and so that play probably dies right then. But yeah, look, in the end, um, you know, if I had to grade the Chiefs, probably a C plus, something like that. They weren't awful. Uh, defensively, they were very good in the second half, but I thought for a lot of that game, they were very so-so. Matt Verderam with us from Sports Illustrated NFL Insider here on the Brady Farkas show on DEV. Let's step back outside of the game and start to look at the macro. Look, there are other teams that are bad or really down on their luck. Carolina is one of them, even though they won yesterday. The Jets are certainly one of them. When you factor in those teams with the Pats, who has the bleakest future outlook in the league? I think the Panthers have the bleakest outlook. They didn't have their pick. And they're owned by David Tepper, who is way too involved. So I would say they do. I'll tell you what, man, and I know some people might disagree with this because of the quarterback. The Chargers are right there. 
Mm. That that team's a mess. They're old. They're expensive. Their cap sheet's a disaster. Again, you'll look at ownership and go, are they going to get it right? You really believe they're going to get it right? Like, I could make an argument with New England. Listen, you get Judon back. You get Gonzalez back next year. That defense is already good. Now it's be really good. If you add Drake May and he's excellent, I'm not saying they win the Super Bowl, but, like, that's a competent football team. Could they be this year's Houston if they did that? Maybe. Maybe, right? I mean, they're, they're not, it's not like crazy. They could, they'd be competent. I don't think the Chargers, even with Herbert, I don't think they're not going to be competent next year. That mm-hmm. team's a disaster. The Panthers are a disaster. Arizona has been a disaster for a century. Um, the Jets, all these people who think they're just going to be fixed by Rodgers coming back. Have you watched the Jets this year? I mean, if I was Rodgers right now, I'd be asking for double to stand behind that offensive line. And I don't believe in the coach. So, yeah, the Pats aren't good. I could give you a half dozen teams in the league easy that to me are in worse. The Raiders are another one, by the way. Hmm. They're in worse situations than the Patriots are moving forward. When you look at the quarterback stuff, Pats right now, you know, pretend to have a top two pick. Right now it would be number two. Would you rather draft the quarterback and have the rookie contract, or would you like to go and make a move for a Justin Fields, a Kyler Murray? We're not sure what those teams are going to do with their high picks. Why would those guys be available? Because those teams don't think they're good enough. And if I, if, if they're not good enough for the Cardinals and the Bears, I'm good. Like I, I don't want Kyler Murray on that deal. You know, I don't want Justin Fields when, when if the Bears are looking at him going, eh, I don't want Kirk Cousins. Like they're not, you know, like to the point of this whole thing is New England fans well know is to win the Super Bowl. You don't win the Super Bowl with those guys. You're not. I mean, to me, I want, I want Caleb Williams or Drake May. That's what I want. Period. End of story. And if they don't work out, they don't work out fine. Then you do what you were supposed to do and it didn't work out. I, I'm not taking some other team's, you know, secondhand quarterback and going, Oh, okay. I hope it works. Um, I think after this year, I think Belichick and New England Park Company, you bring in what I think most people expect to be Gerard Mayo and uh, we'll see. And then you go from there. You go from there, but I, I you got to just turn the page. And I, I think these teams that are perpetually trying to get like that stopgap guy and save money, like those teams always end up just going six and 11. And what does it do for you? You're never bad enough to get the big pick. You're never good enough to win. If I'm the England, you're bad enough to get the pick right now. Take advantage of it. So you're not a fan of what a lot of people want. A lot of people want the Pats to take Marvin Harrison Jr. at two or at three, wherever they are. And then, Take the quarterback with their first pick of the second round, you know, which is, you know, 34 or whatever, or trade back in to pick at 29 and go the Lamar Jackson, Teddy Bridgewater route like those teams did. So you're not a fan of that. No, I just, what does it do for these teams? I mean, the Lamar Jackson thing worked out, right? I mean, although he's even won one playoff game in his career, although I would put that on him. But like all these teams that trade ins like Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Bridgewater is a backup who was wearing number 50 this preseason. Yeah. You know, like, I know there are the examples of guys who get drafted later on and they end up working out. Those guys are few and far between. Brady is the ultimate outlier with that stuff. And most guys that win Super Bowls, they're high draft picks. They are. Stafford is number one overall. Mahomes was number 10. The Chiefs moved up 17 spots to get him. Um, I mean, Aikman was number one overall. You know, Jim Kelly never won a Super Bowl. But he was really high Damn pick. Marino, same deal. Elway, same deal. Like, all these guys. 
they're all up there, right? Rodgers was, was a top 25 pick. And, yes, there are the examples of guys who weren't, guys like Favre, even Montana was a third-round pick. But for the most part, you know, you're going to find success by drafting the quarterback early. And so I'm not saying there's no value in trading back in. I mean, Breeze was a second-round pick, and in, in this day and age would have been a first-round because I think he was 31st overall. But, like, in this class specifically, to me, if you agree with the general assessment of May and Williams in some order being the top two guys, and they're big-time talent, I'm taking one of those kids, period. Like, now, if it was a class where you went, I don't know, you know, like the year when Pickett came out, okay, and you're like, eh, then I'm more up to your idea of, like, hey, trade back, late-round pick. Not this year. Not with those guys sitting there. I'm taking one of those two kids if I have one of the picks. You know, I, we don't have any experience with the idea of moving on from a head coach, right? No Black Monday talk here in the entire time I've been around the area. Right. The reports are out that Bill Belichick is treating business like business as usual. He's going through draft meetings. He's talking about coaches, contracts, et cetera. All the other reports are that he's dead man walking. Doesn't Robert Kraft need to step in and tell him to pump the brakes on doing the other parts of the job if he plans on getting rid of him? I mean, it's a weird situation. I think in the end of this season, like, let's also keep in mind, too, and maybe you don't have to top your head. How, Robert Kraft is how old? 80? I think he's like 82. Okay. Robert Kraft is going to cede more and more control here in the next couple of years to Jonathan Kraft, his yes. son, who is going to take over this franchise. Jonathan Kraft is not nearly as invested in Bill Belichick as Robert Kraft is. And so I think the end of the season comes, and the three of them are going to sit down. And it's, I think the conversation is going to be something like this. Listen, Bill, we love you. You're 72. Like, you're not going to be coaching here much longer anyway, even if things are going great. If you want to stay, we have that conversation, but the reality of it is the team's not any good. We're going to go with the, you know, because of this quarterback situation. Your roster building has been a tire fire in the last five years. And so we're going to strip you of the personnel department. And we are going to hire our own personnel people and you're going to work with them and you're going to, and you're going to just be the coach and that's it. And I think they both know the answer to that, that response is going to be, well, I don't want to do that. And so I think it ends up being a, a situation where they move on. Now, my big question with this is going to be, he's got a year left on his contract. Do they try to trade him? Yeah. I mean, if you're craft, are you going to hold Belichick up here if he wants to go somewhere and that team doesn't want to make a trade for him? I mean, that's, that's the interesting part. And don't forget how he got to New England. He got to New England via trade. I mean, the Jets traded him to New England. Does that happen again? I mean, is, you know, you talk to people in the league, a lot of people think Washington is a place you might end up. He grew up not far from there. Um, you know, it's a, it's an ownership group with a lot of money that wants to get it right. But then you also look at this and go, look, some teams are going to be scared off by the fact he's 72 years old. I mean, how many years is he going to go there and coach? You're not going to have a 10 year run with him. I think it's very, conflicting, but in the end, I think the crafts are going to keep their hands off this thing for three more weeks, and then they're going to sit down with Bill, they're going to have a conversation, and it probably ends up with him departing. Get you out of here on this. You mentioned earlier Gerard Mayo most likely to succeed him. We have heard that um, from a number of different places all throughout the year. Would you be in favor of that? Is there benefit to keeping a link to how things have always been done, or do you want to start completely fresh and go find your next Kyle Shanahan, the next Sean McVay, some 35-year-old hotshot who's offensively innovative, and it's just a total cleansing of the palate. 
Look, if they like Gerard Mayo and they think he can be a good coach, I don't have any problem with it. You know, I just wrote a column last week after the Chargers got pantsed 63 to 21 in which I was running down all their failures, which I could have wrote a book on, but we, we kept it to a thousand words. And one of the things that I mentioned in there was Shane Steichen was an assistant coach with the Chargers for nine years. And he was the offensive coordinator when Herbert had the best statistical rookie season in NFL history. And the Chargers then fired Anthony Lynn and fired Shane Steichen and let them all go. And how's that going? Like Shane Steichen was in front of you for nine years and you couldn't realize he was a good coach. So if they think that Gerard Mayo is a good coach, keep him. I got no problem with that. I would say this though, especially if you bring in a rookie quarterback, you better bring in somebody on the offensive side who's got some veteran chops. Like you cannot do what some of these teams do. They bring in all these first year guys who are over their heads. I think if you bring in Mayo, I'm cool with it. But then you better have an offensive coach who's basically like the head coach of the offense. Sounds like Bill O'Brien. I mean, really, the reports have been that they think O'Brien's going to stay because Which would be fine. he gave him a multi-year fine. deal. He moved his fit, you know, all this other stuff. So you'd be okay with that. I'd be fine with that. But you got to have that guy. Like you can't fire the entire staff and give Gerard Mayo a 29-year-old first-time offensive coordinator. That's a disaster. I'm fine with him keeping O'Brien. If Bienemy goes out in Washington, if they want to bring in Bienemy, that's fine. Like I. But you gotta have a steady, experienced hand who can help this quarterback along. Because you cannot go into this thing with, with just, hey, hope it works out. Now, every once in a while you get lucky. Bobby Sloak's done a hell of a job in Houston as ROC with D'Amico Ryan's coming in, defensive minded head coach. It worked out there. Don't forget with Josh Allen, that thing didn't get off the ground until Dable showed up. Like it's, you need to have the right guy. Now maybe you get lucky and it's a first year guy, but I think for New England, with a first-time head coach, everything else, I would want experienced hand as the offensive coordinator. Do my Seahawks have a chance tonight? No. I don't think so either. Matt Verderam, NFL director, and well, formerly a fan-sided, now NFL insider over at Sports Illustrated with us here. Uh, as always, Matty, appreciate you. We'll catch up down the road. Yeah, no problem, ain't that? Absolutely appreciate that. Matt Verderam is uh, one of the best. And um, a lot of good stuff there, a lot of stuff to chew on, Danny. I, the, the whole thing about the potential next Patriots head coach is very, very fascinating. Cause I have said, I want a complete cleansing of the palate, right? Like I want, if you're going to get rid of Bill Belichick, I want all links to Bill Belichick gone, right? I've said that. And I think there's a case to be made for that. But Matt, I think correctly and fairly when I'm not being emotional about it, raises some good points, right? Like, are you going to bring in, 30 new coaches next year? Are you going to be able to hire 30 new coaches? Are you going to give whoever your first-time likely head coach is a bunch of first-time coordinators? That's not You're not asking for success there if you do that. So there is something to be said for what Matt says about, hey, hiring Mayo and keeping Bill O'Brien on staff. And, and while it's not my first choice, maybe I can be talked into that because of the experience, because you have guys in O'Brien that have been there and have done that and have done it at a high level, but I just want innovative, right? I don't even – here's what I want in a head coach and in an offensive coordinator. Remove the names. From a head coach, what I want is a leader. What I want is a guy who guys will rally behind. What I want is a guy who guys will play hard for. What I want is a guy who shows his players genuine love and therefore gets that genuine love back. 
We talk about the Seahawks and Pete Carroll. And maybe Pete Carroll is at the end of his rope right now. But Pete Carroll's made it a long time in Seattle and a long time as an NFL head coach. Why? How? Because he's the best X's and O's guy? Uh Uh-uh. I don't think so. Because he's enthusiastic. Because he loves his players. Because he's there for them. Because he shows them confidence. I think that stuff matters. Is Dan Campbell the best off, the best X's and O's guy? Probably not. But what does he do? He motivates. He rallies. He loves his players and they love him back. Mike McDaniel, he's not the raw, raw guy that Dan Campbell is, but I've heard enough of Mike McDaniel talk to know that he loves his players and they love him back. I feel like with Belichick, I'm not saying he doesn't have any relationship with his players, but there is certainly a distance there. There is certainly a, hey, I'm the coach, you're the player. And while you need professional boundaries and I don't want my guys all being buddy-buddy with their head coach, I would like there to be a genuine love there, a genuine respect there. That's what I want in a head coach. I want a collegiate-style head coach, right? Someone who's mature, someone who's a grown-up, but somebody who can sit there and can push the right buttons and can get guys to play hard. That's what I want in a head coach, whoever it is. If it's Gerard Mayo, then fine. If it's not Gerard Mayo, then fine. As for an offensive coordinator, what I want is innovative. What I want is somebody who puts their players in the best position possible to be successful. If that is, you know, Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, Drake May, Caleb Williams, Justin Fields, doesn't matter, whoever it is, put my quarterback in the best position to be successful. If he runs well, get him rolling out. If he throws well on the run, get him rolling out. If he's great on play action, utilize play action. If he's good throwing to his left, give us some plays that go left. If he's good going throwing across the middle, give us some of that. Use my receivers as they're designed to be used. Don't try to get my deep threat to run underneath. Don't ask my underneath guy to go deep. Put my guys in a position to be successful and, for God's sakes, be innovative. Because I'm watching every week. I'm seeing teams go out, and this guy's in motion, and that guy's in motion. We got two guys in motion. We got short motion, and we got this guy running behind that guy. And the Patriots do none of it, right? And the Patriots do none of it. I would like to see the Patriots use some innovation offensively. Right, We're going to see the Eagles tonight. You're going to see some innovation. We're going to see Seattle tonight, and hopefully you'll see some innovation. That's what I want. Get guys in space. Get guys the ball in space. Do they have to look like the Chiefs look? No. Do they have to look like Miami looks? No. But can there be some elements of that, please? That's what I want. I don't care, no matter who it is, because I'm watching McVay come in and win a Super Bowl in, in Los Angeles, I'm watching McDaniel come in and set offensive records in Miami. I'm watching Shanahan take the last pick of the draft to be the Super Bowl favorite, and they're going to run through the NFC and get to the Super Bowl. I'm seeing it happen in a lot of places. Shane Steichen, who Matt mentions, I'm seeing him win games with, with Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson. It can be done, but it's not being done here. I would like it to be done here. Yes, there's something to be said for a complete cleansing of the palate. But if you're going to stick with some experienced guys on your staff, they better have these qualities. It's the Brady Farkas Show at WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Text says, Matt V is all intel all the time. So cool you two went to school together. Agreed on the Pat's head coaching future discussion being more complex than what meets the eye. Before we take a break, too, Danny, I mean, this is the thing, too. 
that's really, really interesting. Okay, we talked about it with, with Matt a little bit. Danny, play me the Albert Breer cut, Albert Breer number one on what's going on in the building right now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far. Um, you know, I don't think that that's really what it is. It's a weird time in, in that organization right now. I mean, I, the way it's been described to me over the last few weeks is basically you have one guy at the very top of the masthead, right? Like, and that's Bill Belichick. And he's operating like nothing's wrong. He is running his Friday draft meetings. He's talking about which coaches are going to get extensions after the year. Everything as if he's going to be there in 2024. Meanwhile, you've got everyone underneath him who is no idea what's going on, who has no idea where this thing is going. Very, very odd. And if I am the crafts, I have to go. I don't think business can be run this way. Because if Bill Belichick is not going to be the guy next year, why are you allowing Bill Belichick to make all of these decisions now and put these processes in place? That's that's just not good business, right? If you already know that Bill Belichick's not going to be there, then you need to take you need to tell him, hey, look, we're not doing some of this stuff. The draft meetings, the meeting with scouts, the getting scouting reports—that's probably fine, but the Coaching contract extensions happening right now. If Bill Belichick's not going to be there, then guys shouldn't be having those conversations. Because what? Bill's going to go and re-sign four guys, and you're going to realize you don't want four guys that he wants. Bill's going to go and sign four guys, and they're going to think they're here to work with him. And then you're going to hire a new coach who's going to want different guys, and now those guys are going to feel awkward about their job, or the new head coach isn't going to want guys attached to it. Very odd. If I'm Robert Kraft, if I'm Jonathan Kraft, I gotta go down to that building and say, look, some of this can proceed as normal. Other of it needs to stop, at least pending an organizational review. Because if I'm a coach underneath Bill Belichick, I don't want to sign a new two-year extension only to see him get canned in three weeks and me to wonder if I'm gonna be canned by the new guy. If I'm Bill Belichick, I don't wanna be signing new guys here when it turns out I might be traded somewhere else or fired to go sign somewhere else, and I might like these guys to come with me. This just seems very, very odd. You've got a guy who appears to be dead man walking in the building, but doing all of this stuff for the future. You've, you've got to put a stop to that. And I have never run a business to know exactly how you do that because I'm sure it's awkward. But I would say, Bill, all the draft stuff, all the draft prep, that stuff can proceed as for as normal. The signing players to practice squad contracts and the bringing guys in off the street to help this year, that can help as normal. I would say that also. But who are we giving contract extensions to? I wouldn't be worrying about that right now. I would say all of that stuff is pending a organizational review. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Right now it's 635. We'll give you a little bit of updates on anything happening weather-wise that you need to know. We'll do that. And then Bill Belichick gets called out by one of his own players yesterday. I don't know that I've ever seen that happen. Talk about it next on DEV. Welcome back in Brady Parker Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Most importantly today, hope everybody in our listening audience is safe today. Those heavy rains have triggered 
flooding, school closings, road closures. Um, so I hope everybody is safe today. And uh, we will continue to have an update for you on everything you need to know tomorrow on the morning news service with kind of the fallout of everything. But tonight, Roger Hill is going to stop by at 710 before Jazz with uh, Dan Cardozo, who's in today for George Thomas. So Corm, our fearless leader here at DEV, and Roger Hill will talk at 710 about where we're at with this storm and what's going to come the rest of the night. Danny, Bill Belichick got called out yesterday by Ezekiel Elliott. In the locker room after the game, Ezekiel Elliott was asked about the final Patriots drive. So if you remember, Patriots got the ball back inside, you know, three minutes to play. They're down 27-17. The Pats get pinned inside their own one. Is it likely the Patriots are going to go down 99 yards and score a touchdown? No. Is it likely that the Patriots are going to go 55 yards and kick a a field goal to get within a touchdown. Also, probably no. But instead of playing with urgency, the Patriots elected to huddle up, take their dear sweet time, and basically looked content to lose by 10 rather than do something crazy, turn it over, get a safety, and lose worse than that. After the game, Ezekiel Elliott on that final possession. Um, you know, I think we could have, you know, went, went a little faster, you know, just definitely being down three scores in that last quarter. Um, but, I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's not, it's not up to me. <laughs> See? Not up to me. He says not just the last drive, the entirety of the fourth quarter in which we weren't going fast. We were down by three scores in the fourth quarter, and we weren't playing with any urgency. And that goes into the another conversation which the Patriots punted twice in the fourth quarter. You know, I think it was like fourth and three at their own 42, and then it was – fourth and whatever at their own 30-something, and they punted both times. Now, one time they got kind of bailed out because there was the interception by Tavai that allowed them to go in and get the score. So one of them, okay, you kind of cancel out and chalk it up to good luck. But bottom line is this. The Patriots did not play with urgency yesterday. And, and it was Moose Johnson who said it on the broadcast. Look, if you lose, you lose. If you lose by 10 or you lose by 30, does it really matter? Maybe Bill Belichick thinks it does because he thinks close losses are better for his future than blowout losses. I don't know if that's the case. Maybe you're three and ten. Exactly, they're three and ten. Just play with some urgency. And then on that last drive, look, I get the pitfalls, right? Yeah, first and ten inside your own one. Zappy could go back and get holding in the end zone. It's a safety. Zappy could go back and fumble it. It's a safety. Zappy could go back, get sacked, fumble it, gets recovered for a touchdown. Zappy could go back and and heave one up and have it get picked, and yes, you could lose by more, but I would have rather seen you go for it, and you know what, at least teach the kid, at the very least, at least allow the kid to learn, at least give the kid opportunities to see different scenarios, hey kid, we're down 10, you're at your own one, you've got to complement a timeout to your availability, we need points here. Okay, what can you do to get us points? I don't expect him to go 99 yards and lead a touchdown. But you know that Kansas City is going to be in the prevent defense. You know they're going to give up chunk plays. You know they just want to let clock run out. So Zappi, I'm sure, would have had some chances to hit some crossers over the middle, hit a deep post, find Devontae Parker. And you know what? Maybe he gets to go down and see something that or see or live the scenario where he could have gotten him to the 37-yard line and allowed him to have a chance at a 54-yard field goal, something like that. We're always about, hey, 
Bill, I'm trying to give my players the best chance they can to be successful. I'm trying to good guy, put guys in good positions. I thought at some point you're also trying to develop players. So either you don't think Zappy is good enough to develop or you've just completely given up. And both of those things would be problems. I don't love Zappy, but you're the head coach. You're supposed to think he's worthwhile teaching stuff to. Give him a chance to see a scenario, to see a situation. You didn't. You took that opportunity from him because he was forced to huddle up and let's just go as slow as possible. And guess what? Hey, we end up, you know, eventually going forward on fourth down anyways and turn it over deep in our own territory. So how the hell did that turn out for you? And then you get the Patriots showing you mercy or the Chiefs showing you mercy by kneeling on the ball at the goal line. I mean, how pathetic is that? How pathetic is that? And now your player, and look, Ezekiel Elliott has been a staunch defender of Bill Belichick. He's been a guy who has said over and over again how much he enjoys playing in Foxborough. He has said that he would like to come back here next year, and now you have turned him off by all of this. Not good. Not good. And this is multiple times. It's not just the last possession. It's not just not going for it on fourth and three at your own 42 or whatever, down three scores. This is a history of who Bill Belichick is. Matt Castle, former Patriots quarterback, was on NBC Sports Boston yesterday and said, Bill Belichick's conservative nature is infuriating, and it's been this way for a while. I'd be pissed off. As a quarterback of the team, I'd say, look, we've got to go out. We've got these guys out here. They've all made this team, whether it was by default or not, whether we had to bring you in. And you've got to give us an opportunity, give us enough trust to go out there because the lack of confidence also hurts this team at times because maybe Bailey Zappi goes and makes a player. Devontae Parker, one of these other guys step up, and you're able to go put together a drive and get yourself back into the ball game. So, again, as a player, as a competitor, you want the ball in your hand. You want the opportunity to do everything you can. And he wasn't given that opportunity. They weren't given that opportunity. Down three scores, are they thinking they're going to win? They probably not. They know the writing's on the wall. But you can at least try to make it interesting. And they weren't given the chance. And Ezekiel Elliott's frustrated. The announcers were frustrated. Joe Davis and Moose Johnson. And I was frustrated watching it because there were chances the Pats had. And look, I Bill after the game, oh, we got backup offensive linemen, we got injuries, et cetera. I just I didn't know that we could do it. Guess what? Doesn't matter. You're down twenty seven to ten at this point. What's it matter if you're giving the ball back at the forty and you get down thirty to ten? Is it just about keeping it closer for the sake of your job? I hope not. I hope that's not the case. Maybe it is. But there was no urgency in Zeke. Let him know about it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. We'll deviate from football. Briefly give you a Red Sox update. What's going on in their pursuit of Yoshinobu Yamamoto? Where are the Sox at in the offseason? Hint, hint, nowhere good. That's next on DEV. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Reminder, uh, Roger Hill, Steve Cormier are going to talk on the phone here in about 15 minutes, 710 with the latest on this storm, what's coming next in the overnight. An update for you, the Harwood Unified Union School District, their school buildings will be closed tomorrow, so there will be no school tomorrow, as of my understanding, right? I think that's what that means. Harwood Unified Union School District school buildings will be closed tomorrow, so no school there. I'm sure if you are part of that district, you will get an announcement. Uh, a traffic alert. U.S. Route 2 in Moortown near Noise Road. That is closed due to high water. You should be seeking 
alternate routes. So we'll get more on this from Roger Hill coming up in about uh, 15 minutes or so. Boston Red Sox off season right now is a disaster at this point. I mean, the reports are over the weekend that they offered Yoshinobu Yamamoto a $300-plus million deal. Jeff Passett of ESPN says that's not necessarily true. Bottom line is this. Yamamoto's got a second meeting with the Mets this week and a second meeting with the Yankees this week. Neither of those teams are the Red Sox. The Red Sox, there is a very real chance that they get shut out of the very major guys in free agency, Otani, Bellinger, Yamamoto, and then they are forced to go to the more secondary market where I don't know that they're going to get those guys, right? Could they land on Blake Snell? Maybe. Could they land on Jordan Montgomery? Maybe. Neither one of those guys are Yamamoto. Yamamoto is a 25-year-old unicorn. Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery are about to be 30, and they're a whole lot more volatile. If the Red Sox got one of them, I'd be happy, but I wouldn't be thrilled, and it would feel like nothing more than a consolation prize. And, again, I don't know that the Red Sox are going to get that. They're they're not incredibly active on the trade market. I don't think they didn't trade for Glass now. I don't think they're going to get Dylan Cease. They don't appear to be into the market for Dylan Cease. They're not going to – they were rebuffed by all the – for all the guys on Seattle. So – where are they going to turn? Craig Breslow right now, I'm not saying this is all his fault, and I'm not saying he's doing a bad job because I don't know what the market is, but I know this team has done nothing really but sign a backup catcher and a questionable reliever at this point, right? They need to replace Justin Turner's productivity in the lineup, haven't been able to do it yet. They need to replace Alex Verdugo's productivity in the lineup yet, or lineup. We're not sure if Tyler O'Neill can do that. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. They need help at second base. I've done nothing to address it. They need help in the rotation. I've done nothing to address it. Could use some help in the bullpen. They signed somebody named Cooper Criswell that I have no idea what he'll be able to do. He was DFA'd by or outrighted by the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a dangerous offseason here for the Boston Red Sox. They told us they were going to be full throttle. They told us they were about winning championships. They may lose out on Yamamoto. And they may be forced to look into the consolation prize section. Blake Snell won the NL Cy Young last year. That'd be a heck of a consolation prize. But when you know that the big fish that you wanted is Yamamoto and you could potentially be shut out of that, that's a difficult pill to swallow. And right now for the Red Sox, again, they've done nothing but Roberto Perez and Cooper Criswell. That's it. And they've gotten rid of Verdugo. They've gotten rid of Turner, you know, essentially in free agency. And they brought in Tyler O'Neill, who we certainly have questions about. I hope everybody stays safe tonight. Remember, turn around, don't drown. If you come up on water, go the other way. Get home safely. We want you, uh, we want you to do just that. Thanks to Matt Verderam of uh, Sports Illustrated for stopping by. Go download the full podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Seahawks, Eagles tonight on Monday Night Football. Jazz with Dan Cardozo is next. Corm and Roger Hill at 710.